I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. This podcast is made in collaboration with the Jewish Journal. In most societies today, it's an ideal to support and respect those who defend it, namely the police and the military. That is why when someone speaks out against these institutions, things get a bit heated, to say the least. Today, in many societies, there are indeed movements that put into question the integrity of these institutions. Here in Israel, one of the most controversial organizations, Breaking the Silence, has made it its mission to expose the Israeli public to the reality of everyday life in the occupied territories, to stimulate public debate about the price paid for a reality in which young soldiers face a civilian population on a daily basis and are engaged in the control of that population's everyday life. Their work aims to bring an end to the occupation. That is how they define their mission on their website. Avnil Gvaryahu served in the Orev unit in the paratroopers. He is one of the founders of Breaking the Silence and currently serves as its executive director. We are excited to be joined by Avnil today on the podcast to talk about our troops and the morality or immorality of the occupation. Thank you so and much for joining us. Hello. Hi. Something... I wasn't one of the founders oh, of Breaking okay. the Silence. Okay. Uh, I'm pr- you know, happy and proud to be you know, part of the organization the past nine plus years. But the group itself started with a group of 63 soldiers serving in Hebron mm. during the peak of the Second Intifada. So they served in 2001, 2004. So the first oh, okay. group who started Breaking the Silence, actually, their first photo exhibit isn't far from where we're sitting now, um, um, was presented in February 2004. So I was... Uh, I think um, back then, um, just finishing my year of community service, more or less. So I joined in November 2004. Okay. Before we get to the episode, guys, I have to tell you about our sponsors over at the Chosen One Card Game. Let's face it, we Jews, we're not really good at sports or keeping our opinions to ourselves. But we're not bad at funny. We do funny, all right. The Chosen One Card Game is certified hilarious. Okay, you get a huge set of Jewish-themed question and answer cards, and you match them up, and the funny combinations are hilarious. And best of all, of course, it's Shabbat-friendly, so you can play it on Shabbat. Noah and I were playing this game before we recorded, and we were literally cracking up from the first combo. Apparently, the reason I'm deleting J-Swipe is because of Dr. Goldsteinberg, MD. This game is a must-have for any Jew who considers himself a Jew. The Chosen One card game, guys. Visit thechosenonegame.com, thechosenonegame.com, and use the promo code 2NJB for a discount. Again, that's thechosenonegame.com, and use the promo code 2, the number 2NJB, for a discount. So how come you're not serving, uh, as like doing uh, reserves? I got exempt um, okay. but personally. It, have, it has got, to do with the... I got exempt personally. I mean, I, I think that it's important to say that uh, organizationally, we we don't have an official stance on, um, you know, serving in the reserve duty or not. And, you know, there are members who have testified, you know, um, uh, active members who are part of Breaking the Silence who uh, um, continue serving in reserve duty. And there's those who haven't, who, who decided to stop or, you know, and, and 
um, face the consequences in that sense. Um, and in our team as well, I mean, our small team of workers, there's uh, people who um, do reserve duty, people who don't. Um, I have to say that, that um, uh, it is important to, to, to put forward, in, in our perspective, there isn't a way to be a moral occupier. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, it's, it's a difficult truth, but I think that's in the core of uh, what it is we say. Um, because the, the, po- the fingers that we point, and we are pointing fingers, are not at the soldiers. Um, we were those soldiers. Um, the fingers we're pointing are even not at their commanders. Uh, the fingers we're pointing is on the policy. And the policy in a democracy um, is um, uh, car- carried out by a military or police or so on, but is, uh, um, or- but is organized and orchestrated um, by the government. Um, so, so I think that um, the, the core of it is that the, the problem is not in the individual soldier, the problem is in the action that the soldier got from our government. But in the, in the but I just want to, the I mean, in most of these cases, I'm assuming the actions aren't com, like uh, commanded by that soldier's commander. Meaning the commander didn't say, uh, I mean, I'm not referring to any specific instance here, but it didn't say beat this guy up or kill this guy or or you know arbitrarily throw a grenade wherever you want. The idea is that these soldiers did it on their own, and then they're coming and telling about it. I mean, at least in some of the cases. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, our listeners can go onto our website and, uh-huh. and read through our testimonies. And, and, and I think that, you know, fu- one of the f- fundamental things that's important to understand about Breaking the Silence is, you know, we're, we've been around since 2004. We met over 1,200 soldiers, um, give or take. Um, every soldier has dozens, between a dozen to dozens of incidences, moments, testimonies. Uh, it's not one soldier talking about one specific case, but you talk about a variety of, of things that happened. And in this variety of things, when you look at these thousands, thousands of incidences, only that we have compiled, you can see or you can try to define testimonies in three categories. This is at least the way we do it, our, we do it ourselves. You do have those very clear-cut cases, and many times those are the testimonies associated with breaking the silence because when it bleeds, it leads, right? There's, there's testimonies that have to do with cases of beating up, of, of humiliation, um, um, you know, even cases that weren't brought to the public by breaking the silence, but through the media of uh, uh, soldiers that uh, uh, electrocuted a Palestinian or taking pictures nef- next, to su- next to a Palestinian who was handcuffed and blindfolded. And th- those incidences happen. I don't think that they happen only in the IDF. They happen in other bodies, institutions, um, in Israel and other militaries around the world. Um, no one can argue that this is part of the reality, Right. The, the IDF doesn't argue with the fact this is part of the reality. Um, they would say it's a small part. I would argue it's, it's only a tip of the iceberg. But that's just, this is part of the reality. Um, no one is told, no one is ordered in most cases. There, are, there were commanders, even some high-ranking commanders that did give those orders. But generally speaking, it's, you know, it's not about humiliation of Palestinians. That's one kind of testimony. And that's a test, kind of testimony that's easy usually to deal with. But the second kind of testimony, I think, is also very important and a little bit more tricky, are things that soldiers do after given orders, and the orders are problematic. 
right? For example, after uh, the Supreme Court decided that using a human shield, using a Palestinian as a human shield, before entering a Palestinian's house, right, if the Palestinian is innocent, using him as your human shield, is something you should not be doing. This was practiced till 2005, and the military itself protected uh, or defended this uh, practice in court and lost. After, and this was brought to, to the to court case after a Palestinian was killed. Um, and, but we know this happened after the Supreme Court case. So if you have a commander telling you to do something that's illegal, this is also part of a testimony that we get, and this is a little bit more challenging. I would say the third, third, the third category, and I think the most important category, is the routine. Are the things that soldiers are asked to do and things that soldiers are ca- carried out that are totally legal, right? And then the question is not about legality, but about morality. Of uh, laws. I, I, morality, I think, sometimes defined in laws, but sometimes not. I mean, I, I just spent the day in Hebron. This is something that we do pretty today. often today, right? Guiding a tour in Hebron. And on the main street of Hebron, there's a, a road that the military defines as a, a sterile road, and it's sterile from Palestinians, right? I think this is a moral abomination as a Jew. I think it doesn't make sense that people can't leave the front door of their house. Now, we can talk about security, reasoning, and so on, and we, we deal with Hebron a lot, there were, you know, and, and, and I don't think that the security reasoning is, is really substantial when it comes to... The, 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 the amount of families living on the street, their, their front doors are welded shut. And that's where I want to have the conversation. But Okay, right? but and, I want to, I just want to, yeah. I, sorry, one last thing. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that you know, one of the routine mundane things that we talk about of making our presence felt, showing our control, barging into homes in order to make, that's where I want to have a conversation. I was a sergeant of a sniper's team, right? We entered homes of people that we knew in advance were innocent. Now, maybe we say that's fine. But I wouldn't have the moral. Co- I wouldn't have. A, but that's not. I wouldn't have a conversation. conversation about that. But that's not the conversation. Okay. Meaning it is co- no, a the, conversation. It is a com- But it's not, not the one the you conver- want to have. No, it's not the conversation. I don't think that is being had. Mm-hmm. Meaning, I think that most of the spotlight is being put on incidents where soldiers are. And you know what? I just uh, there's another distinction, which is what I was trying to point out before, which is okay. So you have. These other, you have uh, commands, like, not commands, but orders. Orders orders that you are not supposed to follow because they are immoral. If someone tells you, shoot this, you know, child or whatever, then you're not supposed to follow that. And we all know the IDF code of uh, conduct, and you're not supposed to. And what what did they tell you? How would you know the difference between an illegal order and a totally illegal order? A black flag. A black flag. Did you see a black flag? We met 1,200 soldiers. None of them saw a black flag. Are they all blind? Or everything was fine. What do you it mean could, a black flag? How do you know the difference between a legal order and a totally when legal you go order? Because, but no, but it's not a literal black flag. Yeah, Obviously, of course. Right? Okay, right. so yeah. it's a matter so it's, of... It's within. It's a matter of... Yeah, okay. exactly. So Internal morality. Exactly. So, yeah. so all the things that happen, for example, during no, but the second... There's a code... Out. No, there's yeah, yeah, a code about... There's a code about what is illegal. I mean, you're not supposed to shoot an innocent person if it doesn't present any danger to you. But beyond that, what I'm saying is there are orders that you're not supposed to follow. There is the cult. There are certain things that are established in the way the IDF operates within the West Bank. And that's a question of policy, and that's a question of politics. And we can talk about the occupation and whether or not we believe we should be in there and the effectiveness of it. But the conversation I feel that's being had is around soldiers' conduct within the West Bank. I think that 
when 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 we see interviews of yours, you know, uh, in the media, generally we're talking about things that soldiers committed that they are ashamed of because they committed some awful, you know, uh, atrocious act uh, in the line of duty. And if that is the conversation, then that's a completely different conversation, is it not? Than and the political than one. the political one, because those are those are actors who are acting without with outside of the framework of what the IDF deems okay, and they should be. And there's a court system. They, sh- to they the should idea. be g- taken through the system and dealt with through the system. Can we agree that the court system, in world perspective, is considered pretty decent? System, the, the IDF well, court wait, system. The IDF court system. I, 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 I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. But, but I think that you know the point of you know the, what, I, you know, it could be interesting. We could do this later. You know, show me the interviews that you're referring to. I, I think that we try to make a point, and I try to make a point um, definitely when we talk about the vast majority of our reports in the last couple of years, bringing forward the the day to day reality now. When I talk about the three kinds of, of testimonies, that doesn't mean there isn't number one, right? Um, there were cases, um, you know, maybe that you can think about in your service, which were maybe relevant to that category. But that also means you might have also no, cases... I, I never met this kind of... Never met. Okay, so, 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 so you, we'll talk about... I, I, met, well, I met a soldier who did beat up a uh, Palestinian man. He, was, he beat him up under the... Uh, he supposedly beat him up he what he alleged is that he beat him up because we were in nablus and there is a line for uh women and children and this man grabbed a child in order to stand in this line and grabbed just a child he didn't know and forcefully held her and so this man uh the soldier uh beat him up and that soldier went to jail for you know six months yeah i mean um, it could be interesting if you if you would choose to give a testimony to breaking the silence. I think one of the first things that almost every soldier we meet says, "I have nothing to say," right? No, or, but that's or what I can, I'm saying. I, I, can, I have something. I can't to say, remember. I, I, I can't remember an soldier. experience. But 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 I think but I think that um, um, th- there is an importance. In Wait, talking. are you saying that many soldiers kind of like uh, suppress? That- no, I don't think necessarily suppress. But I think that. Um, at least in my experience, what happened to me, um, what, you know, I finished my service in 2007, um, you know, serving in Nablus and Janine and uh, in, in different places uh, around the West Bank. And, and I remember finishing with a lot of questions, right? And I, I had a, a rabbi in yeshiva that told me a good Jew walks around with question marks around his head. And I had a lot of question marks. I was looking for answers. And I eventually found myself on a Breaking the Silence tour in the South Hebron Hills in the village of Susia. Um, and I'm standing in the village of Susia, looking up to the settlement of Susia, and hearing from a Palestinian there describe his life and what it what it means to live so close to a settlement, what soldiers do um, to protect the settlement, um, how settlers are acting, and the different policies where he's basically not allowed um, to uh, build on his own land or connect to water and electricity when. Uh, there is a, a water pipes running underneath his his homes or his, his tents, and that was a lot of information I didn't know. Um, and and on that tour, someone from Breaking the Silence comes up to me and says, "Who are you? What's your story? Would you like to give a testimony?" And I said, "I don't have a problem, but I have nothing to say." And I think that what happened for me personally was during the conversation that I had uh, with the guy from Breaking the Silence, there were things that he suddenly asked and I said, "Wait, I didn't think about this in this way." I didn't even realize that this could even be something that I should be talking about. 
And I think that that's important. I mean, just even questioning a very basic policy of uh, home invasions, right? Um, or even the idea of uh, 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 making your presence felt. What does that mean? Now, you can always justify it because the best defense is offense, right? And there's always a way to say, well, this is what we have to do in order to protect the settlers. So international law. Right? What is that? There's also international law. And there's... Yeah, there's also international law that questions the legitimacy of uh, definitely today of a permanent military occupation. But allows but to do immoral things in a, in a war situation. What is that? And, but it allows to do immoral things in war scenarios. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean uh, somewhat. I mean, I think uh, I did my, my master's in human rights studies in, in, in New York, and this was something that I, I read a lot about. I think there's, they're, they're under international law, which... Um, um, many of Israel's actions in the occupied territories are in violation of, most notably, settlements, right, which is the gravest inter international violation. Um, um, I, I think there is a very clear distinction between time of war, right, and, you know, uh, Walter's book, I think, Just and Just Wars, I mean, very detailed, but when you talk about military occupation, Right there's also place under international law to, to to have a military occupation. I think the biggest moment which we're I think we're entering, uh, regardless of who will be our next prime minister, um, is a shift from um, occupation that we for many years could tell ourselves. And this was the Israeli PR point internationally was well this is temporary, to a military occupation that you al almost have a consensus in the political leadership and sadly in big parts of the Israeli society that this is permanent. And when you talk about, first of all, not time of war, and, and you know, what does the IDF call the reality in the occupied territories? It's not, we're not at war. The limited confrontation, and in this, which is basically military occupation. So in this military occupation, it's true that under international law, there are things that are permitted, but the idea of the law is always temporary. And we're moving into a place, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I think this, you know, I think this is difficult to say, but important from uh, occupation to annexation, and a legitimization by leading ministers also to take us to what will eventually turn into apartheid. Okay, but wait, I want to ask something too, Eitan. Can I? <laughs> no. You take a deep <laughs> okay, breath, and, I, and I'll ask something. But uh, do you have, in breaking the silence, testimony from the last war in Gaza? testimonies from the last war in Gaza. 2014? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, in Gaza, we left Gaza, okay? You can argue if it's under a blockade or not, but it certainly isn't under, well, maybe it is it's legally a kind of occupation because it's not uh, free land of theirs, but in reality, it's not occupied. Like, they have sovereignty there. So then... And when we went there, it was war, I think. I hope we can agree on that. Like they attacked. It was a war situation, according to international law, at least, I guess. I'm not a lawyer. But they called it an operation, so it wasn't. But anyway, what I'm, what I'm trying to ask, if that was a war in a, in a land that is not occupied, then, but still you take test, you see, you're not consistent, mm. it seems, in mm. that manner. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. We, we actually... Uh, this is a little bit before my time. Um, uh, back in, 2000, uh, in 2009, um, Cast Lead, which was the first big assault on Gaza operation, war, whatever you want to call it, after the disengagement, post-disengagement, there was a real question 
um, amongst breaking the silence because it was clear what our mandate was um, and it was also clear what our mandate was not. We're not a anti-militaristic, we're not an IDF basher organization. Um, some of our testifiers, some of our founders, some of the people around breaking the silence served in the Second Lebanon War. <clears throat> and there were things there that some of them did that they questioned. But that's not part of the testimonies that we gather because uh, breaking the silence mission is not to question Israel's right to, to war. It is to question uh, this reality that um, has grown post-1967 of military control over Palestinians. And in that sense, it's true that Gaza is controlled in a different way, very different way, than um, the West Bank. But it's still under our control, right? And there are testimonies of breaking the silence before the operations and in between the operations, on the fence, in the Navy, um, in airspace as well. So I, I think when we came out with a report, it was after, first of all, soldiers coming to us and understanding what happened there. Um, and, and I think uh, also an understanding that there, we can't really disconnect the reality in Gaza than the reality in the West Bank. Um, and if, and the, if we went to war in Lebanon now or in Syria, and then you wouldn't take testimony? I'm trying to understand the policy. Yeah, yeah, definitely we would not take because it's not about um, war, but it is about military control. Okay. And I, and I would argue, this is where, you know, how the rationale works. I would argue that um, part of the way that we maintain our control and occupation over Gaza, a different kind of occupation, but the occupation over Gaza is through these reoccurring wars. Whereas one, uh, one of uh, the IDF generals said, we go in to mow the lawn, right? So, so I would say they're not disconnected, and it's not only to go in for a specific thing, but it is part of a larger policy. But if Gaza wait, would wait get complete sovereignty, and we would lift all the blockades, and they would still throw rockets at that, and then we would invade and shoot a bunch of people, then you wouldn't take testimonies. That, that's, a, that's a good question. <laughs> no, no, that's a very good question, because I think that you know, part of a dynamic reality is, you know, what do you do when things change, right? Uh, I, I hope things change. I would actually hope that Gaza wouldn't be a solution on its own, but actually be connected to a larger solution. And obviously, right, if Palestinians, for example, gain independence and real sovereignty over... And started the war. Right, yeah, for example, right? And for example, then I, I would hope that that, first of all, that will be the end of occupation and I would go on and, you know, go ba going back to be a social worker, right? Okay. And if there will be a war, then maybe there'll be, you know, a different organization that will want to question Israel's wars. But the idea of military control... But it wouldn't be your organization. Yeah, yeah. The idea of military control over a civilian population is the question we want to touch, right? And not mm -hmm. the idea of general questions of two sovereign countries fighting against each other. Okay. So I, I'm, there's a disparity that I'm like sensing between... Because the organization is called Breaking the Silence, but we've been sitting here and talking about kind of the politics of the occupation and the policy of occupation and Israel's presence in an occupied land. And we've been talking a lot of politics, but in the end, the organization is called Breaking the Silence. And we take testimonies, you take testimonies from uh, soldiers who have witnessed uh, or, or committed uh, abuses of human rights. 
No, no, I, uh, this is important, an important point, because I think, and I won't elaborate, but, I'll let you get back to the question, okay. but, but breaking the silence gathers testimonies of soldiers who served in the occupied territories. Okay, but, but it seems to me like the strategy, like the overarching, overarching strategy of the organization is to end the occupation. I think you even openly say that. Yeah. But, a ta- but and it's a tactic to use testimonies of soldiers in the occupied territory. I mean, it's the main tactic of, of the organization to use testimonies of soldiers from the occupied territories. But the name of the organization is Breaking the Silence, meaning why not, not come out, not come, why not come out and say we should end the occupation? Like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not going to you know, give you my best creative work right now, but <laughs> call it end the occupation, break the occupation, and, uh, and, and say, okay, you know, part of the problem with the occupation is that, they, but I mean, if that's your, is that the entire case for the, why we should end the occupation? Because it's, because some soldiers are some doing some bad things, or is there more politics to it? Is there more policy uh, it's issues just a means surrounding to an it? end. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, um, when when the organization started back in, in 2004, um, um, the, the idea was um, a, a cry out, right? Um, showcasing what soldiers are being asked to do in order to maintain this reality, right? And, you know, we all remember these years of busing, buses blowing up in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem. Um, I don't think there's any Israeli... In our generation, doesn't know someone who was injured or killed. My grandparents grew up, you know, lived all their lives on, in the center of Jerusalem. Every corner around them, there was a bus that blew up. Um, so when this was going on in Israel proper, there was also a backstory to that, right? And in the beginning of the Intifada, there was this moment where, where with this massive friction of mass arrests and basically the breakdown of Oslo, and this is what these soldiers were asked to do. And, and I think the, the, the main idea was picking up a mirror to the Israeli society and showing Israelis what this means. And this is still and will be the main mission of Breaking the Silence. But I think as, as uh, actually very quickly, but this wasn't a long process, this was a pretty quick process amongst the, the, the team in Breaking the Silence and definitely the people that sort of moved on with the organization from the original group, it was clear that it's not enough to just come and say, you know, this is what is happening. But when we uh, um, think, that when we thought about the things that we were doing, and when you hear testimonies of soldiers and you read about this reality on the ground, then it's very clear that the problem is not a uh, specific problem. The problem is a systemic problem. And the systemic problem basically means, and I think this is really uh, an important point in our work, is that it's not about a specific action of a soldier that does something bad. I think one of the most interesting testimonies that we have, a soldier serving in the civil administration. This is a desk job, right? You'll read the testimonies, it might even be boring, right? It's not about even any contact with Palestinians, but it's sitting behind a, a desk like this and deciding about Palestinians' lives. Will they, will they be allowed to build in a place? Will they be allowed to move? Will they be allowed to plant? Will they get permission to go into their land that's stuck between the separation barrier and Israel proper? This is part of a military occupation. This is part of a reality similar to military courts, similar to other elements in the military that are not only soldiers in checkpoints, 
right? This is part of a structure that allows Israel to maintain their control, sadly, at this point indefinitely, or this is the plan, um, over millions of Palestinians. I just don't buy into that idea that in order for us to be here, we have to control them. I don't buy into that. But there's a I difference think between... I think it's dangerous. And, and, and the point of breaking the silence is, in order to live as a, a um, um, proud, um, just society, we have to end that control. Um, and, and it's very clear, also from our wording and also from the way we present ourselves, that the silence we want to break is about the reality on the ground, and the reality on the ground will only change once we end control over the Palestinians. So I have a question also about breaking the silence and, and, and the choice of the, that name. But before that, there's a difference between you know trying to end the occupation and going around the world and talking mm. about awful things that soldiers do. So I wonder, do you feel that there's any level there's of betrayal? Of, to, there's room to, for manipulation here on your part. Like if you were grand manipulators, you could use these testimonies and le lever them in the world to harm Israelis. Yeah, no, but that's that, that. Yeah, that, and that so, is my my question: is is do you feel that there is any level? And I know these these accusations have been uh, laid against you guys in much harsher terms. But do you feel like there's any level of betrayal towards Israeli soldiers and towards when you're going out and you know let let us assume for argument's sake that these stories are true okay but do you think that you know by taking a, a thousand which is you know not even a percent of the israeli army a thousand soldiers unless of course you believe that okay this is just the tip of the iceberg and that the entire idf which is plagued by some horrible immor no but i'm ah, saying yeah. like by taking these the, the 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 worst of them and going around the world and talking about how people you know uh, commit these because you don't give a counter image like you don't talk in your conventions about the fact that uh, you have a lawyer next to every sniper now in the Gaza riots every Friday and a lawyer approves every bullet which I don't think any other military in the world uh, does in such decadence so yeah you know, there's moments in interviews and I think we're getting to that moment <laughs> where we're, 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 we're digging deeper okay. I think as we're digging deeper I think that part of what I'm saying is also a little irritating well, and I think part of part, part of what we're what part of what I'm saying is also sort of, you know, I I, I don't like the word betrayal. I think that that's a, an unfair use. I don't we don't know each other well enough. Um, um, but I but don't. It, it has been said about I, you, so we, it's fair to quote it. Yeah, yeah. So you can you, you we, we we can quote um, um, you know the the Israeli ministers who said it, but I think insinuating it, I think is. Is, is dangerous um, because when we talk, you know, the the the, pu the punishment in Israel for betrayal is death, um, and and I think that when we talk about uh, uh, an environment, um, definitely um, with the you, you know uh, the end of a second round of elections and um, the fact that Benjamin Netanyahu opened the door to uh, racist ideologies. Uh, for the first time in a big way, um, um, I, I think that um, um, there are dramatic shifts within the Israeli society, and I think part of those shifts are the legitimacy of calling fellow citizens traitors. So I'm um, not, first of all, I'm not, uh, I'm not quoting and I'm not insinuating. I'm just asking what you feel about the 
the idea that you are betraying certain soldiers in Israel by going around and and uh, and Using I guess shedding tos- shedding a light on 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 certain uh, transgressions. But beyond that, I'm also not leveling the accusation of like legal treason. I'm not saying right. you shared you, you're state how secrets I, you're with You're asking Iran how I feel. I feel I'm just wondering. You're asking how I feel about about that accusation. I'm 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 irritated to say the least because I think that uh, this is something that has been introduced into our public discourse that has no place. Um, and um, and and I and I would say about the the the, the general accusation. I mean, look. Um, um, you know, we we have been operating and, and working for for a while and. Um, and, and I think that we have seen, um, you know, specific waves, I mean, even notably since 2009, these waves have grown under Netanyahu um, of uh, um, illiberal tendencies within the Israeli society. And I think those illiberal tendencies also affected the way Israeli civil society and Israeli civil actors are, are seen. But isn't I think, that, I've, isn't that but, the but definition but I'm, but I'm of getting, liberal? I'm getting, I'm getting to your Sorry. point. I'm getting to your point. I, I, I think that part of um, the responsibility of active citizens is to look for ways to uh, find the right places um, um, and the right people um, um, to talk to, to reach out to in order to create change. I think that that is being done on a very high level um, from um, um, people on the right. Um, I think that that has been the, sort of the MO of uh, many non-government players, um, civil society actors, have tied uh, their actions and their works to various organizations, governments, and people internationally. Moetzet um, Yesha, for example, is an NGO, exactly like uh, Breaking the Silence. Um, and they um, constantly do international work. Uh, they actually have a person that's his job. explain what that is. The Yesha it's Council. Sorry, the Moetzit Yesha is a Yesha Council. Yesha is Yehuda uh, is the Judea and Samaria, West Bank. Exactly. So it's, a, so it's an NGO that, uh, that, that does work for uh, um, the settlements in the West Bank. Mm-hmm. They're promoting something that I think is fundamentally dangerous for my country. Uh, they're, they're exactly what I said a moment ago. They're, they're promoting internationally perpetual occupation. I think that is one of the most dangerous things that could be happening now. And they're doing it internationally. They're doing it with evangelical Christians. They're doing it in ways that are affecting change. Now, they have the chutzpah to do that, you know, and they are doing that. I mean, look at the ties and the connections between Bibi and Trump, Right. Look how that has affected change. I think negative, but change. I think that we are legitimate, the Israeli left, uh, that believes in our right to self-determination, as I do. Um, I see myself as an Israeli patriot. I just don't buy into the idea that pro-Israel means pro-occupation. Mm-hmm. And I will look for allies worldwide that, like me, believe in Israel's right to exist, but don't believe that that right means controlling other people by force. And I think that those allies are out there. I think those allies are in Jewish communities. I think those allies are in parliaments across the world. And I think that, 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 that that's important. I will add, and this is the last sentence, that we, we also have to be smart about who we choose as allies. And, and, not, and we also have to see that we can educate our allies to be better allies. 
And I think that... What there, does it mean? What, what, what it means is, you know, I think that um, uh, we see growing worldwide and definitely in the U.S. a rise in anti-Semitism. I think that we see racist tendencies growing and xenophobia, not only towards Jews, also to Muslims, but, but definitely towards Jews. And I think that, um, you know, we have to make sure that when we have allies, then we're not um, um, supporting or protecting anti-Semites, right? And I think that the fear of anti-Semitism is real, right? But uh, uh, fighting anti-Semitism cannot be a tool or weaponizing anti-Semitism can't be a way for us not to deal with real, real criticism and real realities, real truths happening on the ground. So I just want to respond because I, I, I want to say, first of all, that, you know, I'm not you're talking about the right wing government and, and the trends that are being instilled in society. I, I'm not, you know, part of Netanyahu's cabinet. Uh, I think that actually being able to level these claims is part of a liberal society, meaning being able to yell out at someone and that's not what I'm doing or what I did, but being able to point at someone and say traitor is part of living in a in a liberal society because then you can talk. And I think that that's exactly why we brought you here. You know, I reached out because I wanted to have you sit here and be able to talk to you, even though I do very, you know, fundamentally disagree with a lot of the things that breaking the silence does. But I wanted to sit, I wanted to have you here sit down and listen and talk. Um, and I think that's important. So, I, but I, I still don't feel like I'm getting kind of like, why is it more effective to go around the world and talk to people instead of if really the change that you want to instill is within, is within then why not try and instill it within? Because just for the audience sake, I think it's worth mentioning that the sentiment I would say in the center right wingers voters in Israel towards breaking the silence is not a good one, <laughs> okay? So, so and in, in the end of the day, as we saw and as we see, who, the, the people decide, the people, you said, you said the government, but what's the government? The people vote for the government. The government represents the people, period, in Israel. And people, like, are going towards right-wing uh, especially Jewish population here in Israel. So what you do seems counterintuitive, yeah. as, as Eitan says, because you failed, I think it's safe to say, you failed at approaching the hearts of the central, central right-wingers yeah. here in Israel and change political, the political map here. Yeah. No, I mean, I, 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 think that, I, I think that's a fair question in that sense. I mean, both your questions are fair. I, 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 I think that there is uh, um, a, a problem in accusations of tre treachery just because I think it shuts down conversations. It doesn't open them. Um, um, but, but, you know, we can continue that after mm -hmm. uh, on, on a beer. But, 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 but I think that um, um, th there is something to be said just generally, and I think this is very important for, for the listeners, um, you know, we are today the busiest anti-occupation group in Israel, period. Uh, we have over 500 educational events here in Israel, um, right? I mean, count the numbers of days plus holidays. Uh, there's something happening, a few things happening every day, Ten to 12,000 people annually. The vast majority of our work, and this is because we decided that, that will be the case, is with the Israeli public, right? So 60% of our work is with pre-military schools, 
um, with uh, uh, campus students, um, some high school students, even though there was a bill that passed that tried to prevent that, but they didn't really, um, and so on. Uh, home events, tours, uh, you know, our, the, the emails keep coming because people are interested. But you're preaching to the choir, no? I'll say about a word about preaching to the choir, but I'll just add 20% of our work is geared towards world Jewry. Um, mostly North America, but not only. And about 20% uh, here in Israel is general public, um, non-Jews, you know, not bar mitzvah, but mitzvah, uh, God forbid. Um, um, and I would say a word about uh, preaching to the choir, but then I want to touch your point, because I think you had a strong point. I, I, I think that part of what has happened in Israel, and this is bigger than breaking the silence, right? I mean, the demise of uh, the left in Israel is evident, in the last election. This is bigger than us. Labor Party had 24 seats just a moment ago. They now have six. Yeah. And right. for the record, Gantz's party began their campaign saying, we killed so many Arabs. Yeah, and, and I, don't think, I don't think the blue and white, I don't think blue and white, I don't consider them as the left-wing party, right? right. Center, yeah, some, center, some yeah. of the people that are center-right, most of them yeah. are center-right, center center, some are center-left, most are center-right. center, center right. So I think there is a dramatic shift within the Israeli public, right? We can talk about why that shift is happening, but that shift is translated, I believe, into attacks on gatekeepers, gatekeepers of liberal democracy. This isn't the only place where this is happening. I think this is part of a trend. But this is happening in Israel. Attacks on the Supreme Court, attacks on free press. All and part of free speech. And dramatic... All and, part of free speech. Yeah, you can, you can argue that. You can argue that. But I, 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 would, I would say that definitely attacks and attempts to take power, active attempts to take power from... It's, not, it's a legitimate conversation, but there is a real shift, right? A shift towards the Supreme Court. And you see this with le former leaders... In Likud, right? I mean, this is a this is very evident with the son of Menachem Begin basically saying, "I'm not going to vote to Likud." This mm -hmm. is a real shift, also to the media, and this is translated to the way. Uh, and, and I think another gatekeeper in liberal democracy, definitely in this time and age, are civil society actors. And you see this in places like Hungary. You see this in places like Poland. You see this in other countries around the world, outside of Europe, Brazil. Uh, uh, the Philippines and so on. Now, I don't think that we're there. I don't think that Israel is there, but I think that these are dangerous shifts. Now, um, um, when we spend most of our energy here, we continue to do that, and I think that it is key for us to help build a camp, a, a democratic camp that understands that fundamentally you can't be a Democrat here without opposing occupation. Thinking that we can control another people um, by force, right, just adjacent to us, sending our, ourselves, but our brothers, our children, our sisters, to maintain a reality which is not democratic by nature, right? It's basically a military-controlled area, right? It's something that I don't believe can live together. And, 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 and I think that, that that is something that we strive to build. And I think it's very important to preach to the choir. But with that said, you know, 500 educational events a year, we're the busiest anti-occupation group in Israel. You know, there aren't so many lefties, right? The, the people that we meet, the groups that we meet are not convinced. The conversations we had are, have are not easy. And I don't think it's, we're, we're expecting it to be easy. But they're key to change. But, but I would just add about the point of, of, of speaking internationally. Look, 
the, the, the Palestinians that we, we, we controlled, the houses that I entered, um, 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 not far from here, the Palestinians I visited today in Hebron, they're not Israeli citizens. They're living under our control. When we went to vote a few times in the last couple of months, we decide their future, right? Benjamin Netanyahu came forward and said, I'm going to annex, right? Uh, Rafi Peretz and Bezalel Smutrich say, I'm going to control the entire land of Israel, right? You vote for that. Mm-hmm. Now, you can say, theoretically, okay, vote for a left-wing party, but no one is asking the millions of people, millions of people living our contr- under our control. And that's why I would say, fundamentally, this isn't an eternal Israeli issue. I walked around with an M16 that said on it, cult property of the USA government, right? There is an international community interested in this conflict. Yes, but the change will no, only no, come from no. within. So I, so I would say that the international community is relevant in exactly the same way that my political opponents are using their tools in order to convince, again, look what happened with Trump, to convince the political leaders, the strongest superpower in the world, they have... You know, the ambassador is someone who supported the friends of Betel, right? So I would, I would argue that, yes, I believe that change has to first and foremost happen here. But it's, it's not the only place where change has to happen. It also has to happen within Palestinian society, where I have less of a power and an agency. This also has to happen within the international community. And I think there, I think it's very important for there to be an Israeli voice that say, my support for Israel means opposing occupation, and definitely, definitely within the Jewish community around the world. But, but you know, Last question. I hear you saying this, and it's not. It's just when I, I saw an interview with you. Do it's on your website actually? I think uh, with uh, Stephen Sacker. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce the name from the, the hard BBC. Talk. Yeah, hard talk. Um, and and. It, <laughs> And it's it, it was almost like you were doing Hasbara because no seriously because the what he was trying to push down your throat was a narrative was just give up what no was a narrative of painting Israel as this land of atrocious mm-hmm. human rights abusing like uh, you know Nazis for lack of a better word like it seemed like he was very. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll advise our listeners to go watch the video, but he very much wanted to get out of you like, look, the IDF is is just rotten from within and Israeli. So and it's it's it was almost like and I, I'm surprised to say this, that you were there being the voice of reason. But that's what that's what I feel like happens when you go out. And that's what what I was talking about when I said I have a question about the name is what silence are you breaking? The world is talking about us nonstop and they're talking about atrocities that we're committing and they're talking about they're you know uh uh disseminating photos of dead children that you know look what israelis are doing and it seems like the message you're trying to get out is even almost more moderate than that but when you go out there and you say these things and it just you lose of... israelis no, no, i i think i think those, those you know two of the, two of those points are fair two of those points are fair i mean i think that uh, uh you know just um um you know, at the end of that interview, um, I spoke with him for a second, and, and I have to, that was, this was my experience. He, he lived here for a while as a reporter, and he's connected to people here. And um, I, I think that um, um, it's, uh, it's saddening for people who care about this place to see what's happening here. And I think that there are dramatic shifts that are happening here, and, and, and that, that we Israelis who are living in our bubble a little bit, um, I think it's very important for us to have the ability to pop it. 
Um, and, and I think that um, um, in, in that sense, I, I, I also encourage people to watch it. I think that there, there, there were some fair questions, but, but, but there is a complexity. I mean, I, I love this place. This is my home. This is where my family is, right? I mean, this is where my, uh, my, my grandparents are buried. This is where my, uh, you know, my, my cousins are going to grow up. This is where I hope my kids are going to grow up. You know, I'm, I'm, I really see my, my work as uh, a patriotic work, um, um, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just not willing to buy into um, the, the, the. I, I, I think a, um, a very one-sided narrative, which is legitimate to, to, to speak about publicly, and, and I think that uh, when you talk about the, the past. Uh, um, definitely the past four or five years, and I think even before that, um, I think that it is uh, clearer than ever that there are silences to be broken. I think that it is clearer than ever when you have um, 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 bills and laws trying to limit the ability of NGOs to operate. There are bills and laws who are trying to um, shut down uh, um, 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 art galleries. Um, there are um, um, bills and laws that are trying to uh, to silence freedom of expression. Not all passed, but 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 some were very close. And bills and laws that put in basic laws, which are the mo- most important laws in our country, um, uh, the nation state bill, which I think uh, um, is one of the most dangerous things that happened here in the past couple of years, which basically puts into basic law the, the superiority of, of Jews here and, and disregarding um, 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 you know, thousands of fellow citizens. So I think there are real shifts happening here. And we mentioned the Supreme Court and we mentioned the media. Uh, um, and, and I think that um, this was evident even in the last election. So uh, um, I agree that most of the Israeli public is not, to, uh, uh, is not necessarily on my side. But there was also, I think, a statement here that th- this toxicity that we feel in the air, what we see from Netanyahu and the Kahanists, is something that is dangerous and something that Israeli vote, Israelis voted against. But when we talk about that, we have to understand how this sees how how this is seen externally. Now, I'm I'm not uh, uh, my job is not to do Hasbara, right? My job is to put forward the reality on the ground and end occupation. But I do believe, and I said this to some pretty high-ranking people in the Jewish agency and in Hillel's and in Jewish communities around the world. I do think that there is an importance to hold on to this idea that you can be an Israeli patriot and still oppose the occupation. And I think that space is shrinking. It has definitely been shrunk uh, in the political sphere, without a doubt, right? Uh, but I think this is also this is shrinking in, in many different levels, even in our discourse. So I think there is there are silences to be broken, and it's important that they will be broken. And I think that those silences also have to be broken um, definitely, you know, thinking about our audience here in Jewish communities around the world, because Jewish communities around the world, definitely in the U.S., but in other places as well, are basic, basically being tied in to the Netanyahu narrative. And the narrative is, if you want to support Israel, you have to support the occupation. And I think that's detrimental. I would say, by the way, I think that's the, exactly the other side of the coin of people saying, if you want to oppose the occupation, you have to oppose Israel's right to exist. Right? Not but even talking a, about anti-Semites. But that's a different uh, discussion uh, than, 
I mean, that's that's what that's the whole idea is that that's but a political let, let, discussion. Let me just finish my spiel. Okay. Right. Yeah. So you have basically these two. You basically have you basically have you know this one idea that says supporting Israel means opposing uh, supporting occupation. Another one means opposing occupation means opposing Israel. And I think that the, the voice, the idea that basically says, which is so simple, supporting Israel means opposing occupation, is exactly that space we want to argue about. Now, it's true. It's bigger than us. And that's where it's political. That's where it's part of a civil society movement. It's part of the political movement, but part of politics. No, but I think that's exactly it. I, I think the question is, and I do want to, I'm going to push Still. in one question because okay. I want to give them the opportunity to answer. That's really the last I think one. That, I think that the question is one of tactics. And that's what, you know, we've had people on the podcast who, who talk about uh, stopping the occupation. And I think there's, there's no issue with, with, ha with believing that the occupation should end. I think most people that would meet you would say, I don't have a problem if you feel like, like I strongly disagree that the occupation should end. I think, you know, if uh, we leave, die. if we leave then with the air, with the Palestinian population in the West Bank, it really is a zero sum game and blah, 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 blah. But you can have that belief that we should end the occupation. But it's a question of tactics, I think. And the, the, that is the main issue I think most of Israeli society would have with breaking the silence. And I want to give you kind of like, you know, like, uh, I don't know how much time we have, but to answer, how would you say, what would you say to the Israeli that says, anybody, I have no problem with you wanting to end the occupation, but I have a problem with you Ratting. parading around in Kilu talking about Israeli soldiers as if they're criminals. Yeah, so uh, we don't. And we don't, we're, we're not a legal organization, so we don't talk about illegality. I mean, it's not our language, generally. But, but, but what I would say, and this is what we say, uh, you know, in, um, in many of our conversations and events is, you know, first of all, it's good that we agree that we have a problem. Right, I think that's the first thing we have to. Wait, wait, I didn't say we agree. Uh, maybe <laughs> we can, we can, we can uh, go okay. back and see. That. But uh, you know, those who would agree okay. that we that we have a problem. Um, um, you know, I think the, the, the question is, okay, so what do we do now, right? What, what's our theory of change? Um, how do we think that we can solve this problem? And, and I think that, uh, uh, at least from where we're standing, we take this problem very, very seriously. And I think that, you know, if we um, look around and we spend a lot of time in the field, you know, we spend a lot of time educating ourselves, we spend a lot of time, you know, listening to our leading politicians, it is clear where this path is going. And I, and I genuinely believe that the idea of perpetual occupation is something which is in the works. I think this is something that is shifting already. Um, and when we talk from, move from occupation to annexation, and when Tanyahu and, and Peretz and Smutrich and so on legitimize, legitimize not only Kahanist views, but an idea of sovereignty, of the land for Israel without giving rights, you know, that really brings us into the reality of apartheid. And if I don't want to go there, then I have to look around and say, what are my tools to do that? Now, I would, you know, just a, a, um, um, you know, a mind thought game, for, a thought experiment for, for us. You know, let's say I'm right. Maybe I might be wrong, but let's say I'm right. And we are going to move, um, maybe not with this government, with the next government, to a reality of sipuach, of annexation, without giving Palestinians equal rights. What happens then? What happens in a reality where we're actually turning into an apartheid state? I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Now, some people could say, we're going to wake up then, and then we're going to do whatever we have to do, right? And some people will say, look, even if we become an apartheid state, then the only thing we can do is we can speak with our, inside our own kehillah, right? I think part of the 
power of uh, who we are is understanding that we have to think collectively as a group, but it's also legitimate and important to seek allies externally, right? They're not the ones that are going to vote. In the end, we have that power. But it's very, very important to build international alliances that think exactly in the same way that the right build these alliances, had tied themselves together in order to promote occupation. I think it's very, very important, especially with the upcoming election in the United States. And here. For, and here, maybe again, yeah. right? Uh, upcoming election in the United States, for there to be a strong voice, definitely coming with, out within the Jewish community, but not only, right, that comes forward and says, you know, what the, what the last administration did with basically writing a blank check to Netanyahu is not good for Israel, it's not good for Palestinians, and it's not in our interest as uh, Americans who care about this region. So, you have a website, obviously. How do people go there? Yeah, we have, we have a website. Just, you know, Google Breaking the Silence will come up, Hebrew, English. You personally um, are, is, you're on social media? I'm on, I'm on social media. Um, you have a Twitter account? Tw I have a Twitter account. Uh, Twitter's always the fun. We'll post links. But, yeah, post links. I don't, I don't, what's my handle? I think Agvaryahu. Uh, but on our website, there's uh, uh, definitely you know testimonies you can read and so on, information about us, a Q&A with very detailed Q&A about you know, frequently asked questions. But I would really recommend searching for a video, 30 minutes. It's sort of a virtual tour of Hebron. Uh, we're working on a new one, but it's very detailed, this last one, even though it's a little uh, old school. Um, it, I think we'll give a good understanding of who we are, what we do, the complexity of the message we want to bring forward. Um, um, you know, the fact that Palestinian terror is not a myth. It's a reality that we dealt with, right? The fact that settler violence is something that soldiers have to look in the eye and deal with day in and day out. And the reality on the ground, which is only deteriorating, um, and, and why we care about changing it. So I really recommend taking 30 minutes um, and then thinking about someone who would like it, someone who will hate it, and send it to them. And, and we have a collaboration with the Jewish Journal, uh, which we told you about, uh, Jewish Journal in L.A. Um, they've got great podcasts, columns. Check them out, guys, jewishjournal.com. We also have a sponsorship the with one. The Chosen One. TheChosenOneGame.com. It's a you're so enthusiastic, no, I'm man. Still, you know, it's I'm, a hard game. I'm, I'm uh, deep in thoughts from the conversation. <laughs> no, it's really funny, guys. Check it out. And uh, now we start a collaboration also with Sheva, so you gotta check them out. Also, oh, check out Sheva. <laughs> yeah, he, he's watching them all the time. Um, and also uh, donations. And, and we accept donations, guys. We do we do it on a free time, so please go to twingb.com/donate and help us out. And that is it. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for the Thank opportunity. You so much. Bye, guys. Bye.